0: section twenty five of lucretia borgia by ferdinand gregorovius this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by emily maynard book two chapter three fetes given in lucretia's honour the wedding festivities in ferrara continued for six days during the carnival at the period of the renaissance court functions and festivities so far as the intellectual part is concerned were not unlike those of the present day but the magnificent costumes the highly developed sense of material beauty and the more elaborate etiquette of the age which gave birth to Castiglione's cortegiano lent these festivities a higher character the sixteenth century was far behind our own in many of its productions theatrical performances, displays of fireworks, and concert music. There were illuminations, and mounted torchlight processions, and rockets were frequently used. But an illuminated garden fete, such as the Emperor of Austria gave for the Shah of Persia at Schönbrunn, would at that time have been impossible. The same might be said of certain forms of musical entertainment, for example, concerts, society in that age would have shuddered at the orchestral music of today and the ear-splitting drums would have appeared barbarous to the italians of the renaissance just as would the military parades which are still among the favorite spectacles with which distinguished guests are either honored or intimidated at the great courts of europe even then tourneys were rare although there were occasional combats of gladiators whose costumes were greatly admired the duke and his master of ceremonies had spent weeks in preparing the programme for the wedding festivities although these did not admit of any great variety being limited as they are now to banquets balls and theatrical productions it was from the last-named form of entertainment that Ercole promised himself the most and which he expected would win for him the applause of the cultivated world he was one of the most active patrons of the theatre during the renaissance several years before he had commissioned the poets at his court to translate some of the plays of plautus and terence into terza rima and had produced them guarino berardo colinuccio and even boiordo had been employed in this work by him as early as fourteen eighty six an italian version of the minecmi the favorite play of plautus had been produced in ferrara in february fourteen ninety one when ercole with most brilliant festivities celebrated the betrothal of his son alfonso and anna sforza the Manecmi and one of the comedies of terence were given the amphitryon which cagnolo had prepared for the stage was also played There was no permanent theatre in Ferrara, but a temporary one had been erected, which served for the production of plays, which were given only during the carnival and on other important occasions. Ercole had arranged a salon in the palace of the podesta, a Gothic building opposite the church, which is still standing and is known as the Palazzo della Regione. The salon was connected with the palace itself by a passageway. A raised stage called the tribune was erected it was about one hundred and twenty feet long and a hundred and fifty feet wide it had houses of painted wood and whatever was necessary in the way of scenery rocks trees etc it was separated from the audience by a wooden partition in which was a sheet-metal curtain on the forward part of the stage the orchestra sat the princes and other important personages and in the amphitheatre were thirteen rows of cushioned seats those in the middle being occupied by the women and those at the sides by the men this space accommodated about three thousand people according to strozzi ariosto calcanini and other humanists of ferrara it was ercole himself who constructed this theater they and other academicians probably took part in the performances but the duke also brought actors from abroad from mantua siena and rome they numbered in all no less than a hundred and ten persons and it was necessary to build a new dressing-room for them the theatrical performances on this brilliant occasion must therefore have aroused great expectations the festivities began february third and it was soon apparent that the chief attraction would be the beauty of three famous women lucretia isabella and the duchess of urbino they were regarded as the three handsomest women of the age and it was difficult to decide which was the fairer, Isabella or Lucretia. The Duchess of Mantua was six years older than her sister-in-law, but a most beautiful woman, and with a feminine curiosity she studied Lucretia's appearance. In the letters which she daily wrote to her husband in Mantua, she carefully described the dress of her rival, but said not a word regarding her personal charms. Concerning Donna Lucretia's figure, so she wrote February 1st, i shall say nothing for i am aware that your majesty knows her by sight she was unable to conceal her vanity and in another letter written february third she gave her husband to understand that she hoped so far as her own personality and her retinue were concerned to be able to stand comparison with any of the others and even to bear away the prize one of the ladies of her suite the Marquesana of cotrone wrote the duke saying quote, The bride is not especially handsome, but she has an animated face, and in spite of her having such a large number of ladies with her, and notwithstanding the presence of the illustrious Lady of Urbino, who is very beautiful, and who clearly shows that she is Your Excellency's sister, my illustrious mistress Isabella, according to our opinion, and of those who came with the Duchess of Ferrara, is the most beautiful of all. There is no doubt about this, compared with Her Majesty, All the others are as nothing. Therefore we shall bring the prize home to the house of our mistress. The first evening of the festivities a ball was given in the great salon of the palace at which the attendance was so large that many were unable to gain admission. Lucretia was enthroned upon a tribune, and near her were the princesses of Mantua and Urbino. Other prominent ladies and the ambassadors also came and took up a position near her the guests therefore in spite of the crowd had a chance to admire the beautiful women and their gowns and jewels during the renaissance balls were less formal than they are now pleasures then were more natural and simple frequently the ladies danced with each other and sometimes even alone the dances were almost exclusively french for even at that time france had begun to impose her customs on all the rest of the world still there were some spanish and italian ones lucretia was a graceful dancer and she was always ready to display her skill she frequently descended from the tribune and executed spanish and roman dances to the sound of the tambourine the following day the eagerly expected dramatic performances were given first the duke had the actors appear in masks and costumes for the purpose of reviewing them the director of the troupe then came forward in the characters of plautus and read the programme and the argument of each piece which was to be rendered during the five evenings the selection of comedies by living dramatists in the year fifteen o two could not have cost the duke much thought for there were none of any special importance the calandra of duvizzi which a few years later caused such a sensation was not yet written it is true ariosto had already composed his cassaria and the suppositi but he had not yet won sufficient renown for him to be honoured by their presentation at the wedding festivities moreover the duke would have none but classic productions he wanted to set all the world talking and in truth italy had never seen any theatrical performances equal to these we possess careful descriptions of them which have not yet been incorporated in the history of the stage they show more clearly than do the reports regarding the vatican theatre in the time of leo x what was the real nature of theatrical performances during the renaissance consequently they constitute a valuable picture of the times If one could follow the reports of Gagnolo Zambotto in Isabella and reproduce in imagination the brilliant wedding and the guests in their rich costumes seated in rows, he would behold one of the fairest and most illustrious gatherings of the Renaissance. This scene, rich in form and color, taken in conjunction with the stage and the performances of the comedies of Plautus and with the pantomimes and the moresque, which occupied the time between the acts, is so romantic that we might imagine ourselves translated to Shakespeare's Midsummer's Night Dream, and that Duke Ercole had changed places with Theseus, Duke of Athens, and that the comedies were being performed before him and the happy bridal pair. According to the programme, from February 3rd to February 8th, with the exception of one evening, five of the plays of Plautus were to be given the intermissions were to be devoted to music and moresque the Moresca resembled the modern ballet that is a pantomime dance it is of very ancient origin and traces of it appear in the middle ages at first it was a war dance in costume which character it preserved for a long time the name is i believe derived from the fact that in all the latin countries which suffered from the invasions of the saracens dances in which the participants were armed and which simulated the battles of the moor and christian were executed the moors for the sake of contrast were represented as black subsequently the meaning of the term moresca was extended to include the ballet in general and all sorts of scenes in which dances accompanied by flutes and violins were introduced the subjects were derived from mythology the age of chivalry and everyday life There were also comic dances performed by fantastic monsters, peasants, clowns, wild animals, and satyrs, during which blows were freely dealt right and left. The classico-romantic ballet appears to have reached a high development in Ferrara, which was the home of the romantic epics, the Mambriano and the Orlando. It is needless to say that the ballet possessed great attraction for the public in those days, just as it now does. THE PRESENTATION OF THE COMEDIES OF PLAUTUS WOULD HAVE NO MORE EFFECT UPON PEOPLE OF THIS AGE THAN WOULD A PUPPET SHOW. THEY LASTED FROM FOUR TO FIVE HOURS, FROM SIX IN THE EVENING UNTIL MIDNIGHT. THE FIRST EVENING THE DUKE CONDUCTED HIS GUESTS INTO THE THEATRE, AND WHEN THEY HAD TAKEN THEIR SEATS, PLAUTUS APPEARED BEFORE THE BRIDAL COUPLE AND ADDRESSED SOME complimentary VERSES TO THEM. AFTER THIS THE EPIDICUS WAS PRESENTED each act was followed by a ballet and five beautiful moresque were given during the interludes of the play first entered ten armed gladiators who danced to the sound of tambourines then followed a mimic battle between twelve people in different costumes the third moresca was led by a young woman upon a car which was drawn by a unicorn and upon it were several persons bound to the trunk of a tree while seated under the bushes were four lute players the young woman loosed the bonds of the captives, who immediately descended and danced while the lute-players sang beautiful canzone, At least so says Gagnolo. The cultured Duchess of Mantua, however, wrote that the music was so doleful that it was scarcely worth listening to. Isabella, however, judging by her remarkable letters, was a severe critic, not only of the plays, but of all the festivities. The fourth Moresca was danced by ten moors holding burning tapers in their mouths in the fifth there were ten fantastically dressed men with feathers on their heads and bearing lances with small lighted torches at their tips on the conclusion of the epiticus there was a performance by several jugglers friday february fourth lucretia did not appear until the afternoon in the morning the duke showed his guests about the city and they went to see a famous saint sister lucia of viterbo whom the devout ercole had brought to ferrara as a great attraction every friday the five wounds of christ appeared on the body of this saint she presented the ambassador of france with a rag with which she had touched her scars and which Monsignor roccoberti received with great respect at the castle the duke showed his guests the artillery to the study of which his son alfonso was eagerly devoted here they waited for lucretia who accompanied by all the ambassadors soon appeared in the great salon A dance was given, which lasted until six in the evening. Then followed a presentation of the Bacchides, which required five hours. Isabella found these performances excessively long and tiresome. Ballets similar to those which accompanied the Epidicus were given. Men dressed in flesh-coloured tights with torches in their hands, which diffused agreeable odours, danced fantastic figures, and engaged in a battle with a dragon the following day lucretia did not appear as she was engaged in writing letters and in washing her hair and the guests amused themselves by wandering about the city no entertainments were given for the populace the french ambassador in the name of the king of france sent presents to the princes of the house the duke received a golden shield with a picture of saint francis in enamel the work of a parisian artist which was highly valued to the hereditary prince alfonso was given a similar shield with a portrait of mary of magdala the ambassador remarking that his majesty had chosen a wife who resembled the magdalene in character quo multum meruit quia multum creditit perhaps presenting alfonso with a gift suggested of the magdalene was an intentional bit of irony on the part of the french king in addition to this he received a written description of a process for casting cannon a golden shield was likewise presented to don ferrante lucretia's gift was a string of gold beads filled with musk while her charming maid of honour angela was honoured with a costly chain everything was done to flatter the french ambassador he was invited to dinner in the evening by the marchioness of Matua, and was placed between his hostess and the duchess of urbino the evening was passed, according to Gagnolo, in gallant and cultivated conversation. On leaving the table, the marchioness sang the most beautiful songs to the accompaniment of the lute, for the entertainment of the French ambassador. After this, she conducted him to her chamber, where, in the presence of two of her ladies-in-waiting, they held an animated conversation for almost an hour, at the conclusion of which she drew off her gloves and presented them to him. Quote, and the ambassador received them with assurances of his loyalty and his love as they came from such a charming source he told her that he would preserve them until the end of time as a precious relic we may believe gagnolo for doubtless the fortunate ambassador regarded this memento of a beautiful woman as no less precious than the rag poor saint lucia had given him sunday february sixth there was a magnificent ceremony in the church one of the pope's chamberlains in the name of his holiness presented don alfonso with a hat and also a sword which the holy father had blessed and which the archbishop girded on him at the altar in the afternoon the princes and princesses of the house of este went to lucretia's apartments to fetch her to the banquet hall they danced for two hours lucretia herself with one of her ladies-in-waiting taking part in some french dances in the evening the miles gloriosus was presented it was followed by a moresca in which ten shepherds with horns on their heads fought with each other february seventh there was a tourne in the piazza before the church between two mounted knights one of whom was a native of bologna and the other a citizen of imola no blood was shed in the evening the asinaria was presented together with a wonderful moresca in which appeared fourteen satyrs one of which carried a silvered ass's head in his hands in which there was a music-box to the strains of which the clowns danced this play of the satyrs was followed by an interlude performed by sixteen vocalists men and women and a virtuoso from mantua who played on three lutes in conclusion there was a moresca in which was stimulated the agricultural work of the peasants the fields were prepared the seed sown the grain cut and threshed and the harvest feast followed. Finally, a native dance to the accompaniment of the bagpipe was executed. The last day of the festivities, February 8th, also marked the end of the carnival. The ambassadors, who were soon to depart, presented the bride with costly gifts consisting of beautiful stuffs and silverware. The most remarkable present was brought by the representatives of Venice. The Republic, at its own expense, had sent two noblemen to the festivities, Niccolò Dolfini and Andrea Foscolo, both of whom were magnificently clothed. In those days dress was as costly as it was beautiful, and the artists who made the clothes for the men and women of the Renaissance would look with contempt upon those of the present time, for in that aesthetic age their productions were works of art. The most magnificent stuffs, Velvet, silk, and gold embroidery were used, and painters did not scorn to design the color schemes and the shapes and folds of the garments. Dress, therefore, was a most weighty consideration, and one to which great value was attached, as it indicated the importance of the wearer. All who have left accounts of the festivities in Ferrara describe in detail the costumes worn on each occasion by Donna Lucrezia and the other prominent women, and even those of the men the reports which the venetians sent home and the description in the diary of marino sanuto show how great was the importance attached to these matters the following is even more striking evidence before the two ambassadors of venice set out for ferrara they were required to appear before the whole senate in their robes of crimson velvet trimmed with fur and wearing capes of similar material more than four thousand persons were present in the great council hall and the piazza of san marco was crowded with people who gazed with wonder on these strange creatures one of the robes contained thirty-two and the other twenty-eight yards of velvet following the instructions of the signory of venice the ambassadors sent their robes to duchess lucretia as a bridal gift this wonderful gift was presented in the most naive way imaginable One of the noble gentlemen delivered a Latin oration, and the other followed with a long discourse in Italian. Thereupon they retired to an adjoining room, removed their magnificent robes, and sent them to the bride. This present and the pedantry of the two Venetians excited the greatest mirth at the Ferrarese court. In the evening they danced for the last time, and attended the final theatrical performance, the Cassina before the comedy began music composed by Rombonzino was rendered and songs in honor of the young couple were sung everywhere throughout the casina musical interludes were introduced during the intermission six violinists among them don alfonso the hereditary prince who was a magnificent amateur performer played the violin seemed to have been held in great esteem in ferrara for when Caesar Borgia was about to set out for France, he asked Duke Ercole for a violin-player to accompany him, as they were much sought after in that country. The ballet which followed was a dance of savages contending for the possession of a beautiful woman. Suddenly the god of love appeared, accompanied by musicians, and set her free. Hereupon the spectators discovered a great globe, which suddenly split in halves and began to give forth beautiful strains in conclusion twelve swiss armed with halberds and wearing the national colours entered and executed an artistic dance fencing the while if this scene as cognolo says ended the dramatic performances we are forced to conclude that they were exceedingly dull and spiritless the Moresca partook of the character of both the opera and the ballet it was the only new form of spectacle offered during all the festivities compared with those which were given in rome on the occasion of lucretia's betrothal they were much inferior among the former we notice several pastoral comedies with allegorical allusions to lucretia ferrara caesar and alexander in spite of the outlay the duke had made his entertainments lacked novelty and variety although they probably pleased most of those present isabella however did not hesitate to mention the fact that she was bored in truth so she wrote her husband the wedding was a very cold affair it seems a thousand years before i shall be in mantua again i am so anxious to see your majesty and my son and also to get away from this place where i find absolutely no pleasure your excellency therefore need not envy me my present at this wedding it is so stiff i have much more cause to envy those who remained in mantua apparently the noble lady's opinion was influenced by the displeasure she still felt on account of her brother's marriage with lucretia but it may also have been due partly to the character of the festivities themselves for the Marchese in all her letters complains of their being tiresome soon after the conclusion of the festivities the marchioness returned to Matua. her last letter from ferrara to her husband is dated february ninth Her first letter from Mantua to her sister-in-law, which was written February 18th, is as follows. Illustrious Lady, the love which I feel for Your Majesty, and my hope that You continue in the same good health in which You were at the time of my departure, cause me to believe that You have the same feelings for me. Therefore I inform You, hoping that it will be pleasant news to You, that I return to this city on Monday in the best of health, and that I found my illustrious consort also well. There is nothing more for me to write but to ask your Majesty to tell me how you are, for I rejoice like an own sister in your welfare. Although I regard it as superfluous to offer you what belongs to you, I will remind you once for all, I and mine are ever at your disposal. I am also much beholden to you, and I ask you to remember me to your illustrious consort, my most honoured brother. Lucretia replied to the marchioness's letter as follows. My illustrious lady, sister-in-law, and most honoured sister, Although it was my duty to anticipate your excellency in the proof of affection which you have given me, this neglect on my part only makes me all the more beholden to you. I can never tell you with what pleasure and relief I learned that you had reached Mantua safely and had found your illustrious husband well. May he and your Majesty, with God's help, continue to enjoy all happiness and the increase of all good things according to your desires. In obedience to your Majesty's commands, I am compelled and I also desire to let you know that I, by God's mercy, am well and shall ever be disposed to serve you. YOUR DEVOTED SISTER, WHO IS ANXIOUS TO SERVE YOU, LUCRETIA Estensis DE BORGIA. FERRARA, FEBRUARY 22, 1502. These letters, written with diplomatic cunning, are the beginning of the correspondence of these two famous women which was carried on for seventeen years, and which shows that Isabella's displeasure gradually passed away, and that she became a real friend of her sister-in-law. The duke was heartily glad when his guests finally departed. Madonna Adriana, Girolima, and the woman described simply as, quote, an Orsini, seemed in no haste to return to Rome. Alexander had instructed them to remain until Caesar's wife arrived. They were to wait for her in Lombardy, and then accompany her to Rome. The Duchess of Romagna, however, in spite of the urgent requests of the Nuncia, refused to leave France. Her brother... Cardinal d'Albret, reached Ferrara February 6, and shortly after set out for Rome. Adriana, as a near connection of the Pope and Lucretia, had been treated with the highest respect at Ercole's court, where she had enjoyed a close intimacy with the marchioness Isabella, as is shown by a letter which the latter addressed to Adriana, February eighteenth, the same day on which she wrote Lucretia. It is regarding a certain person whom Adriana, while in Ferrara, had recommended to her in her own name and also in that of Donna Giulia. It therefore appears that the anonymous Orsini was not Giulia Farnese. Ercole was exceedingly anxious for the women to leave. In a letter dated February 14th to his ambassador in Rome, Costabili, he complains bitterly about their, useless stay at his court i tell you so he wrote that these women by remaining here cause a large number of other persons men as well as women to linger for all wish to depart at the same time and it is a great burden and causes heavy expense the retinue of these ladies taken into consideration with the other people numbers not far from four hundred and fifty persons and three hundred and fifty horses Hercules instructed his ambassador to inform the Pope of this, and also to tell him that the supplies were about exhausted, and that the Duchess of Romagna would not arrive before Easter, and that he could stand the expense no longer, as the wedding festivities had already cost twenty-five thousand ducats. The Pope should therefore direct the ladies to return. In a postscript to the same letter, the Duke says, After the noble ladies of the Duchess of Romagna had been here twelve days, I sent them away because they were impertinent, and because their presence would not do His Holiness or the Duchess any good. The troublesome women finally departed. There is a despatch of the orator Girardo Saraceni, dated Rome, May 4, in which he informs the Duke that Monsignor Venosa and Donna Adriana had returned from Ferrara, and had expressed to the Pope their gratitude for the affectionate reception which had been accorded them. February 14th, Ercole wrote the Pope a letter whose meaning is perfectly clear if we eliminate one or two phrases. Holy Father and Master, before the illustrious Duchess, our daughter, came here, it was my firm determination to receive her, as was met, with all friendliness and honor, and to show her in every way how great was the affection I felt for her now that her majesty is here i am so pleased with her on account of the virtues and good qualities which i have discovered in her that i am not only strengthened in that determination but also am resolved to do even more than i had intended and all the more because your holiness has asked me to do so in the autographic letter which you wrote me your holiness need have no fears for I shall treat the Duchess in such a way that your Holiness will see that I regard her as the most precious jewel I have in the world. End of chapter 3